We're going to continue in Micah tonight. If you would stand with me as we read God's Word. Micah chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. This is God's Word. Woe is me, for I become as when the summer fruit has been gathered and when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desires of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, and the most upright of them is a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor and have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt, and the daughter rises up against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? This is God's word. You may be seated. Keeping the spirit of Lewis and Clark in, a, in, in the wilderness of the world sometimes is, is tough. Um, if you guys know that great exploration that happened in North America when President Thomas Jefferson asked Meriwether Lewis to explore the lands west of the Mississippi, the whole Louisiana Purchase. And this took two years, 8,000 miles, two years. Can you imagine? Just, just set out go west to this vast wilderness. They faced a lot of harsh weather and unforgiving terrain. Forty-five people in all. And so you might ask, how, how did they keep the spirit of adventure and discovery and passion despite all the disappointments that we have? And that's a question for us. How, how do we keep the flame of our souls and how do we keep our hearts from just becoming just these embers, right? Because in life, life sometimes can be a wilderness. How do we stoke the fires of our faith in the rains that we experience here in the world? How do we keep our love from going, growing cold? How do we keep our lamps full of oil, excited for Christ's return, excited for Him to come again? God understands that temptation. God understands that sometimes we get super discouraged, almost overcome with discouragement. Or maybe you just get lulled to sleep by the things that are going on in our world. And God oftentimes in the Old Testament would give His people these celebrations. He would give them festivals. He would, he would give them these Sabbath days. He would give them these promises, these signs. You give them these stones of remembrance to kindle the fires 
of their faith. God knows that we dwell and walk in the wilderness of the world. He knows that. He knows we can easily become overtaken by our sins. Advent is a season of expectation and hope given to us by God to fan into flame our faith. It's given by God to rekindle the hunger and thirst that maybe has grown melancholy. God wants to give us a solid place to to rest our foot, a solid place to rest our souls. You know, God wants us to have sort of a feisty kind of faith. You ever think of your faith that way, that God wants us to be feisty? God wants us to preach the gospel to ourselves. God wants us to shepherd our own souls and encourage our hearts. And you may ask, well, what what does that look like? Just give you a brief taste of Psalms 42. This is sort of what feisty, feisty faith looks like. It says, My tears have been my food night and day, while they say to me, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I would go with the throng and lead them in in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I will remember God. You ever fight like that? You know God's given you church every Sunday to come to so you can fight like that? Feisty feisty faith. The word feisty typically is a word used to describe someone who's small or weak or an underdog. I hope you know that about yourself. I hope I know that about myself. I hope you know you're an underdog. If you're a Christian, I hope you know that, that you're weak and you're frail. Sometimes I don't think we understand that in America. So God gives us a passage like Micah. He gives us this passage as sort of a boxing gloves to put on, sort of a mouthpiece to slide in. He sort of gives it to us as a sword and says, hey, listen, you're in the wilderness. You're going to need a feisty kind of fate. As we look at Micah chapter 7, I want you to think of it as God giving you a telescope which helps us see what seems to be way out there, right? Sometimes our our hope, the return of Christ, His coming back, it seems seems so far away in a dark world. It's almost like a star twinkling in the distance, and God wants to give you passages like Micah 7. He wants to give you these passages as a telescope so that you can look out there and see you have this massive, this massively great salvation that's able to swallow up all the despair that life will bring. You believe that, Christian? You believe that? That God's given you a hope, He's given you a promise that can swallow up all of life's despair. You know, if you read verses 1 through 6 there, man, it's bleak, isn't it? 
It's a bleakness, such darkness. You know, it's always the worst of times. You know, since the fall, it's always been the worst of times. You know, we think with every generation, <laughs> it gets worse, it gets bad. Look, it's always been the worst of times. I mean, how, how, how much worse than can you get than your son murders your other son? Right? It can't get any darker than that. What do you do with that? What, what do you do with that darkness? What do you do with that as a parent? Adam and Eve, their fall, they've sinned against God. Because of that, one of their sons kills the other one. Is there anything out there that can swallow that up and bring hope? You know, there's probably not many people in the world that can say their son killed their other son. That's a weighty tsunami tidal wave-like weight, isn't it? It's always been the worst of times. Ever since the fall, it's been the worst of times. I know we live in America and... <laughs> It seems like the best of times all the time, doesn't it? But if you go around the world and you travel, it's the worst of times. And God knows that. God knows it is hard to appreciate the beauty of His salvation at noonday. He knows that it's hard to enjoy the warmth of the gospel in August in Mobile, right? So God brings sometimes these cold and Dark times, and before Jesus' birth, it's been 400 years of silence, right? Rome is now the dominant power. The center of power has shifted from the east to the west. Palestine is nothing but a puppet state. Instead of the king on the throne being a descendant of Jacob, he's a descendant of Esau, and his name is Herod the Great. The nation of Israel several times has attempted to free themselves from their enemy. It doesn't work. So it's the worst of times. But I want you to know that God uses this hopelessness, that God uses this darkness, and He uses it like a riptide to, to bring us to Himself. Do you see suffering that way? You see hardship that way, that God is using it as a riptide not to wash us away and destroy us, but to, to draw us to Himself, to bring us into the light, to remind us of the hope that we have in Christ. And after all that, verse 7, all the darkness and the hopelessness says that a man can put no trust in his neighbor no confidence in his friend. Even the woman who lies in his arms, his wife, is not trustworthy. Son treats the father with contempt and the daughter rises against her mother. There's not a godly man on earth. What do you, what do, you do with that? But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. You see, biblical hope is not only the desire for something good in the future. It's not just the hope, not only 
the desire for something good in the future, but it expects it to happen. Do you, do you expect God to bring goodness and righteousness out of the darkness in your own life? Do you, do you expect God to do that? As I read that passage and I think about, I will wait, I will wait for the God of my salvation. Not very good at waiting in the Western world, are we? Not too many things that we have to wait on. We don't know much about resting and being still before God. We don't like the thought of just sitting in darkness and waiting, saying, God, you'll, you'll come, you'll show up. Listen to what Isaiah 30, 15 through 18, this is what God says to his people for thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved, and quietness and trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling, and you said, No, we'll basically save ourselves. We'll flee upon horses. God says, Therefore you shall flee away. And they say, We will ride off on swift horses. And God says, Your pursuers will be swifter. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five, you'll all flee away until you're left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a signal on a hill. You know God's not going to allow you to save yourself. You know God's not going to allow you to get it done on your own. But after all this, listen to what he says. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all those who wait upon him. Do you wait on the Lord like that? Probably Ecclesiastes 4.6 probably describes me a little bit better. It says, Better a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after the wind. In my faith, in my walk with the Lord, it's more handfuls of toil and striving than it is rest and quietness and crying out. Do you hear that? The Lord will hear me. The Lord will hear me. That means he wants you to cry out, I can't get it done. God, the darkness is overcoming me. The tidal wave is consuming me. And he's like, yes, just, just cry out, Ryan. Just cry out. Do you cry out or do you run away on your swift horses? Do you, do you try to fix it? Do you try to get it all together? Do you try to get everything right? It's always the worst of times. But do you allow those things to drive you to the Lord, to His goodness, to His righteousness, to His salvation? If it's the worst of times in your life right now, God has sent Advent to tell you, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I've been entering into the darkness since creation and bringing hope 
and life and reconciliation. And then again at the first advent, I entered once again into the darkness to bring light and hope and salvation. Be still, church, and know that I am God. It's interesting, we get to verse 8. It says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light for me. Isn't that strange language you would tell your enemy? Isn't Isn't that unique? It doesn't say, if I fall. It's like, hey, 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 enemy. Hey, Satan, I'm going to fall. I'm a sinner. Christians are odd ducks, you know that? Who tells their enemies that? How do you find encouragement in that? When I fall, when I sit in darkness. Not if, but when. When it happens, when I fall, and we fall every day, and we stumble Every day. And God's word says, don't minimize your inability to live the Christian life before your enemies, but let that be what turns you to your confidence and hope. Let your inability to walk out the Ten Commandments and your inability to be holy and righteous, let that lead you to the hope of what God has done for each of us. For when we are weak, we are strong. And when we are poor in spirit, we are blessed. How about 20, Proverbs 24, 16? The righteous fall seven times, and seven times they rise. You hear that? The righteous fall seven times, and seven times they rise. Not in their own strength. It's because Jesus bends down and he picks us up, right? Not seven times, but 77 times seven. Don't we have a gracious God? You know, Christian, we we often never enjoy that rest because we're so busy. Instead of just resting in Christ, instead of just enjoying what he's given us, 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. But if you never get to the humble, if you never get to that humble state that not if, if I fall, but God, when I fall, when I sit in darkness, God, you will send Christ and He will, he will raise me up. And you get to verse Nine, and it really gets real. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. See, you read those first six verses and you think the problem's like out there, like it's everyone's sin against me that's the real problem, but the real problem is, is my sin against God. See, it's Luke five twenty three. It's that 
story of the friends that bring their paralyzed friends to Jesus. And all the religious leaders are there and Jesus says, is it easier to say, get up and walk? Now think about that. This paralyzed man, with all of our technology of the day, we can do nothing with a paralyzed man. Nothing. You can't replace the spinal cord, put it back together. Jesus says, is it easier to tell this guy to get up and walk? Or is it easier to tell him his sins are forgiven? Do we, do we understand how massively big it is for God to forgive us of our sin. Do we understand that it's easier for God to say, get up and walk to a paralyzed man than it is for him to deal with the sin on planet Earth? You see, our first step to enjoying Christmas is not acting like we have it all together or that we walk in righteousness every day. But the first step to joy at Christmas is sitting before the Lord in all of our sin and all of our failures and humbly acknowledging, God, you're the just judge of the universe. And quietly just sit there in a posture of humility and say, God, whatever you bring, I deserve. Whatever you bring out of all my mess and my sin, I deserve it. It's like Job in chapter 1. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the Lord. God, no matter what you do, blessed be your name. If you bring the whip or the scourge, praise you, God. You're good and righteous. Listen here, Psalms 38, 4-6. For my iniquity has gone over my head. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like sin has just it's gotten so deep, it's just over your head? Like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds, listen to this, my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness, because of my sin and my unrighteousness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate before the Lord. You see, there's a difference in being like that and being like Cain or being like Judas, right? Remember, Cain, it almost seemed like he was humbling himself. But he didn't humble himself and say, God, whatever you give to me, you're God and I am not. I will bear it. He said, God, this is too much. You don't know really what you're doing, God. This is too big of a weight for me. But true humility says, God, I am a great sinner. I humbly bow and rest and fall before you, justly deserving the stones, right? The woman caught in adultery, that's how we should be sitting and laying out there in our sin and our nakedness and saying, God, whatever you give me, I deserve. And if you give me stones, I deserve those stones. Church, if we don't, if we don't deal with our sin in that way, if you don't deal with sin in that way, it's a cheap salvation. We have a cheap salvation 
But if you deal with it that way, there's a gutsy, kind of gritty kind of faith. An expensively, massively large kind of salvation waiting. Right, there's this tsunami of sin. There's this tidal wave that's about to crush you and dispose of you and be done with you. But you know what happens? It's like the Grand Canyon opens up in front of you. When you sit in your sin like this and you sit before God and you acknowledge yourself to be unworthy and to be this worm that the Scripture talks about we are, and it's like sin is about to crush you, all of a sudden the Grand Canyon opens up and God swallows up that tsunami like that. Listen what it says in the second part of 9. Until, until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out into the light and I shall look upon his vindication. The same God whose hand is heavy upon you is the same God who provides salvation. He is your defense. He is your judge. And if we will humble ourselves, He will come. He will lift us from the tidal wave. He will comfort us. He will put us in the shadow of His wings. And He will make all things new. Isn't that good? He will bring us out into the light. He will plead my case. He will be my defense. He will be my judge. And like a proud mother and a newborn, he will bring you out into the light. You know that, Christian? You know God is not ashamed of you? Do you understand what God has done for you? I don't care how massively great the sin is in your life or how many times you fall. Do you know that because Christ is your vindication, because he is your judge, because he is the one who's taken your sin, do you know he brings you, when you humble yourself under your sin like that, he brings you out into the light and he holds you up like a mother, a newborn child, and says, this one is mine, and I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's Advent, church. That's what Advent is all about. The reason that we don't long for Christ's return is we don't believe that God holds us to the light and says, this one's mine. You see, it's that picture of Isaiah 6 when Isaiah says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people who are unclean. And he just sits there. He doesn't try to save himself. He doesn't try to clean himself up. He sits there and he says, God, I am unrighteous. And what does God do when he humbles himself and he kneels and he says, God, I'm a man of unclean lips. Does God crush him? No. God sends an angel to purify him and make him right. Sometimes there's this cheap grace being preached. And when you preach a cheap grace, you have a cheap Savior. But when you teach and preach an expensive grace, an expensive salvation, there's joy 
joy, joy for all eternity, church. For all eternity. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is your God? The question is, how can this be? You realize we have Christmas every day, church? You know, every day I can humble myself and say, God, when I fall, I'm going to rise. God, when I sit in darkness, you're coming to bring me out into the light. You know, every evening before we go to bed, we ought to, do, we ought to sit before the Lord and say, God, I have fallen so much, and I know I deserve to sit in darkness, but I know, God, that you're going to bring me out into the light. I'm just going to read 7, 18 through 20 in closing. Here's why we have Christmas every day. Who is God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Do you hear that? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. And you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to your fathers from the days of old. You know why it's Christmas every day, church? Because of God's character and because of God's covenant. It's Christmas every day because of God's character and His covenant. Be still, church, and know that God hears you. And he sees you. And he will bring you out into the light. That's Christmas. Let's pray.